are listening to Astrology Today, coming to you live from the beautiful Sunshine Coast and Powell River, which is situated on the traditional lands of the Klahoman Nation. I will be your host, Maureen Reed, and I am an astrologer. Welcome to you, the listener, and good morning, Jill. Good morning. Yay! <laughs> Well that's that's the second time I've done it right. Oh, the girl might finally be getting it. Yay, team. And uh, I think summer has arrived instead of spring. Like, I know. Uh, we broke a record here in Powell River yesterday. Yeah, one whole degree warmer than since 1925 or something. Really? Yeah. Well, I think we got up to 21 or something. Yeah, yeah. Pretty wild. Lovely. Okay, so um, this will be um, an interesting show, I hope, <laughs> for you, the listener. <laughs> <laughs> I've been a bit out of commission um, this past month, actually, uh, but I went terribly sideways this past week uh, with back issues. Um, yeah. Um, and so, you know, trying to wrap my head around what, how am I going to present this? And Jill and I said, it's okay. We can wing it. Is that the we word? <laughs> yeah, well, it's a topic I haven't really looked at. I think it's, you know, there's always more to learn. There are, there are techniques and things that yeah. I've never explored. I mean, I you've got the Hellenistic thing that you've gotten into. I never have explored that. I've done little bit with Vedic and yeah, that kind of thing. Yeah. But, you know, it's there's so much that there is people can there explore is. if they want to get into astrology. So yeah. you know, you don't have to know everything. There's always you can learn more, which is part of the fun. Yeah, exactly. And what struck me about the pieces that I want to kind of play with today is how um, I must have been a kind of aware of things like primary motion and secondary motion way back in the beginning, but I have a feeling it confounded my brain. And um, as I said in the little piece on the website, I wanted to get to the juicy bits, like right away, uh-huh. <laughs> you know. <laughs> and this whole motion thing didn't really, well, I, and I have to admit, even now when I think about it my brain you know sort of kind of stalls out and you know it's sort of that uh, rub the top of your head in one direction and your belly in the other you know it's that crossover brain thing but it informs um, but it's also something that's not really looked at that much in western modern western astrology that's true that is so, true you know, it, it's not something that factors in particularly. no exactly exactly so yet back, it going back to the hellenistic here it's it would be more interesting now to look at it from yeah. your perspective because yeah it makes more or it fits in with their worldview yeah or yeah and and it's it's kind of why we even started why astrology even got a birth in human consciousness. Um, So basically, the the really bare bones piece is that um, 
uh, primary motion is our experience of day and night. And what couples with the day and night thing is the fact that our experience is that we don't move. Hmm. Which is kind of at the foundation. Now, obviously, um, to this day, we still don't feel the movement. Um, yeah, what's astounding is to think that not only is the earth revolving, but the, the sun itself is hurtling through space at a ma- magnificent speed. Exactly. And, we're, and, we're, and all the planets are trailing along with it. Exactly. So yeah. Not, it's not this picture, that, the flat picture we see. Yeah. Where we solar system, the sun's in the middle, and we're all around it. It's more like a, it's more like the DNA structure. That exactly, the spiral. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's a spiral. And, yeah. And, and what astrology does is take a slice right through that at a particular moment. Exactly, right? exactly. So, and then we lay that flat. And we so lay that, that <laughs> which yeah, isn't, you know, which isn't really what's but happening but we don't feel the hurtling through space and we don't feel the earth spinning so yeah it's, i know it's, and it's, so one of the things that struck me about that um as i was you know flailing around trying to put some notes together for today is in pretty much every spiritual tradition the one of the goals, not the only goal or the goal, I'm not trying to say that, um, is to recognize that there's something immutable and unchanging at the core of all of us. But the universe is anything but. Um, it's it's moving and we're hurtling, as you say, and <laughs> it's all changing. <laughs> And at the same time, if you're getting into the spiritual aspect of things, then there is only energy, and energy is vibrating. And so there's only there's only vibration, there's only frequencies, yeah, right? Yeah. And that's, uh, you know, everything else is perception. Yeah. So And so if, so the, the, the whole primary, secondary motion thing is, it's a construct as well. In Absolutely. Our, yeah, in our yeah. attempt to... Because it comes through our perception, you know, if you're looking yeah. up there, see things moving, you know, the, oh, the sun goes from one side to the other and all that kind of stuff, but that's our perception. Yeah. And yeah. Just, just as we perceive, I mean, you know, the earth isn't in the chart because it is the chart, right? Because we perceive ourselves as the center of the universe. We right? do. Gall, <laughs> darn it. Yes, we are. Yeah, because that's that's our perceptual reality. Yeah, but again, going back to the spiritual, then we are the whole. We're the we are the universe. Exactly. Right. It is. That's a frightening thing, considering how un unput together I am. Oh dear. <laughs> well, the, you know, we're all. It's like the hologram, right? Um, yeah. The, in each tiny fragment of of the holographic plate, if you make yes, it, yes, the whole picture is there, and so you know that is what we're looking at, right? We're looking at yeah our little piece of the universe in our chart, 
So it's it's huge in in that sense, but it's very small because it's all about me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and it's the, it's not the me that is that eternal, universal. Yeah. Um, so one of, one of the questions that uh, the primary motion. And the fact that now, of course, we do know that we're, you know, spinning around and hurtling through space um, is, does the chart, and this is probably, I guess, more from a Hellenistic point of view, but it's also, I think, part of the modern viewpoint, too, is that the chart is um, a storyline that you're cast into and but it's even though it's talking about what you know it's your like okay so that that primary motion defines the moment that you arrive and then it's populated in a specific way because of that slice of time Uh but is that us or is it just symbolically us and whether you look at it from a hellenistic where you, you know, the chart also shows everybody else and all the events, or you look at it as the whole chart is me, um, it isn't actually, right? It's like, yeah. My pers- it's, it's my experience of me. Um, but there are yeah. various ways that can come, come out, right? Which is what, for me, the value of looking at a chart is, is yeah. to see that, this isn't the only way I could play this energy out, right? These, yes. these energies yeah. that are represented. Yeah. And that's that that's that expressing this way, partly out of habit, partly out of conditioning and you know, all of those things that yeah. are environmental that affect us. Um, but it, there, you know, with awareness, I can shift how that energy is is being expressed, right? Yes. You know, yeah. And and yeah, and that goes back to that core you know awareness of self being not this little self yeah that's that's out on the front exactly and and with from the hellenistic point of view it's finding just how much um volition one has between fate and free will um Hmm. yeah because they're there are some things that are faded. I mean, you and I are, I, one of the ways I used to express this was, um, hello, this is what good karma looks like. We weren't born in Biafra, and I mean, that's yeah. kind of an old thing now, but or Syria or wherever, right? We have choices that most people on the planet don't have. But ultimately, uh, we're not in control of what's going to happen. Yes. Right. I mean, there are events that are going to happen. There, there could be an earthquake. There could be whatever. Yes. You know? Yeah. We're not going to control the weather. We're not going to control whether the earth starts moving or not. And, and um, you know, so there are events that will happen. It's yeah. not the event that's important, though. And that's what p- people get caught up on is that the event is important, but it's how we deal with it, how, well, yes. well, yeah. what it brings out in us. Yeah. Whether it's just a reaction of, oh, my God, or whether it brings out a resourcefulness or a, an ability yeah. to see, yeah. okay, this is happening, an acceptance of that, and what can I do within that? 
Yes. Given yeah. that it is happening, right? So it's not about, oh, I, I can control my, my everything that happens to me because we can't ever, you know, we don't control the moment we're born. We don't control, you know, <laughs> but, you know I'm here because uh, apparently that's when I was supposed to to arrive. Yep. Yeah. Consciousness yep. and, and experience what I'm experiencing. And, and so whatever I have experienced up until now, that's what has created, you know, the person, the person I am in this moment. Yes. Yeah. I'm going we are forward. an accumulation of events. And so, you know, my experience doesn't define me. It's more my how I deal with whatever I experience that kind of defines me in a sense yeah (laughs) this is true it is again it's that whole thing between our perception and And perception is one of the things that the ancients really zeroed in on and that's that's our physical five senses yeah but in particular apparently the eyeballs Right, which uh-huh. they attributed to Venus. Yeah. And, you know, they were into the whole ray thing, which, okay, so how they went from, you know, the happy shepherd in the field, okay, because this is how I'm imagining that the wandering stars were first discovered. You got a bored shepherd on a hillside in the middle of the night with an incredibly clear sky, which I was reading in one place where Venus back in the day was actually capable of casting shadows on the earth it was that bright before we polluted the skies ad nauseum and turned on all the lights and never turned them off again we have no we have no way of knowing what things were like you know well other than than what they wrote down and yeah, for yeah. sure, but that, yeah. that's coming through their perceptions. Of well, that's their, true, that's their true. Of what yeah. those perceptions mean. Yeah, I mean, that's the interesting thing <clears throat> about the whole, you know, of our what we call reality, right? Yeah. It's all perceptual. It's oh, yeah, all totally. So anyway, back to yeah. the happy shepherd on the field. So, um, well, I'm assuming he's, you know, I'm sure some shepherds were happy with their job, you know, like, come on. <laughs> Okay, so there he is. There she is. Okay, let's keep this egalitarian or whatever that is. Um, Okay, so they witness that just before the sun rises, that there is a wandering star that is also rising. But what's actually happening is in secondary motion, and this is the part that you know, kind of messes with my head, even as I'm saying this, is they're actually trying to go the other way. And uh, for those who are on um, their computers listening to this, if you go to my website, I do have a graphic, which I am going to share um and then can i make this smaller i thought i had a way of making it smaller yeah the graphic i made is a bit maybe i'll just stick us in the middle (laughs) okay so 
yeah, so let's say it's sunrise. And, and of course, we make meaning. We make meaning with everything. And uh, sunrise is, and again, it's what defines us in our chart. Uh, whatever is on the ascendant, which is the line that you extend out from the place that you were born all the way out to the elliptic, uh, and where it hits the elliptic in a tropical zodiac will define your ascendant. Um, and that line is moves in a clockwise direction, correct? Yeah. So an hour later, if you were born, um, let's say you were born at, uh, it's Aries right now, so Aries would be on the ascendant at um, six o'clock-ish. And right now, the um, uh, Cancer is rising, or was rising when I first got here to the, to the studio. And so the signs have been moving backwards because of the rotation of the earth. So Aries is now on the 10th. So the sun is directly overhead. And that was considered by the ancients to be the culmination, sort of this is as big and as grandiose as you can get, the 10th house, right? And uh, visible. Yeah, and the other thing about this is that the sun, they thought the sun was a planet, right? Yeah. I mean, they yeah, it was grouped with and we still talk about it as if it's a planet. Exactly, but, exactly, but, yeah. But in, but in reality, um, the Earth and all the other planets are moving around the sun. Yes, yes, we do it's know not, this, even it's though... It's around um, us. So. Yeah, yeah, like as <laughs> astrologers, we know this now. Um, yeah. And so how they made sense of this part, I mean, even knowing what we know now... Um, because of that phenomena where it feels like we're not moving, mm. you know, it's just, it's so odd that there, but it isn't odd. I mean, why would we feel that we're moving? Well, sure. And that's why you have the flat earth. Yeah. Yeah. As the earth does appear to be flat when I'm standing. Yep. Yep. Unless I'm on a mountain, which I can... Yeah. yeah, and then you can actually get a feeling of the curvature. I have yeah. seen that. I have been up... Well, you get in a plane and you can... As soon as you get sure. up in a yeah. plane at 30,000 feet, you can you they can actually see it. <laughs> no, they didn't. No, they didn't. Okay, so back to the fact that as the day goes by, the signs are popping up. Um going in the opposite direction or clockwise to the fact that secondary emotion, um, those same shepherds would have noticed that, okay, so let's say Mercury came, showed up on the horizon just before the sun came up. Okay, so the next day he might not because he's actually moving towards the sun if he's the morning star. Yeah. 
that must have been confusing because <laughs> even as I'm saying it, and I know that the earth turns and that we're hurtling through space. Um, and so, you know, it's almost like the, the characters on our stage, they're running one way and our, the stage, the stage our, is our daily thing is dragging them back the other way. And it's just odd. They're running on the stage and the stage is moving. And the stage is moving. I like that. I like that. But what oh. does that mean? Well, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, like, it's, yeah, it's the, it, it, yeah. The you get with, you know, you used to get the, the little flip, flip books where. You know, oh, yes, had, yes. And you, you could know, make so. things move. Yeah. I mean, and film, that's what's going on. That's right. right. There's, there's stills that are just running together fast. Yeah. 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 And so it actually isn't all that fast. I like no, it's, like, what, no. 32 frames per second or something? That's not that fast. Yeah. Well, there's, there's a theory that motion is like we're not actually moving, but our perception, again, it's, you know, the perception and interpretation thing is yes. interesting. Yeah. So, so one of the, (laughs) one of the things that the ancients did, so obviously they had some way of, of reckoning with the two motions. um, And given time, I will probably get back to that, um, because it informed the way they saw the houses um, in the chart. But the other piece of this is has to do with perception. So, in Greek myth, Venus took all of the four elements, fire, earth, air, and water, somehow whipped them up into a stew, and voila, you got eyeballs. Okay, so the eyeballs emitted rays, mm-hmm. and then the objects emitted rays back, and that's how we saw things from this is what they how they tried to figure it out and mm-hmm. but they could only see given specific angles so in the hellenistic model they don't have they don't acknowledge aspects such as the 30 30 degree aspect which in modern times is called a semi sextile um they or the 45 which right. is a semi-square. They don't acknowledge either one of those. And... Or the 150. Or the 150. The uh, sesqui... Mm-hmm. No, not sesqui quadrant. That's 135. Inconjunct the well, inconjunct. Inconjunct, in, yeah. And their rationale was that the eye couldn't see that. The 150 right. is a little harder to come by, but you well, know what was interesting yeah, is in... Yeah. In Western, I, you know, using those aspects, I often talk about the 150. Oh, yeah. It is awkward, and it's it's an aspect of of adjustment. Yes. Because you do have to adjust your, you know, your, it's not straight ahead of you. It's just off to the side. So you yeah. get out of it. Yeah. So and I, I used to call it the da aspect. And, yeah. um, and, and where I more, more prominently used it, um, except if it was in a configuration and, um, you know, we'll probably dance back through the aspects again. There's something called a yod, which if you've got one, that, that you can definitely see how it operates. But 
I would use it in terms of when people would come in and say, well, why don't I get along with, and they'll have a kid, you know, like they'll be in Aries, and they'll have a, a, a Virgo child, and I'll go, well, that's a duh factor, and they'll be like, yeah, I just don't get it. Well, <laughs> you know? I, it's like the, the, the semi-sextile, that 30 degree, because You've got signs that have nothing in common. Exactly, exactly, yeah. They're not by element, they're not by mode, none of those things. Yeah. The same with the inconjunct. You've yeah. got these signs have nothing in common. So, yes, it's like I don't get it because yeah. my sign doesn't compute that. Yeah. You know? So my second part of this has to do with the aha. So... One of the things about the whole Ray idea that may not be entirely out to lunch is the fact that, and I know we have all experienced this. Okay, if something is can be seen, okay, there's a literal physical experience of that. And this comes when, for instance, if you're, you know, the example that uh, somebody mentioned in a webinar that I listened to this week, um, you know, you're sitting on a bus and you do, you can get the feeling that somebody is staring at you. Oh, yeah. You know, and so the ancients and their idea of the ray isn't entirely out to lunch. Like there is something physical that happens. And so... Ergo, well, yep. our bodies, our bodies do emit photons. We, we yes, are yes, light, we are literally light beings, and yes. we do emit particles of light. Yes, that and is I mean, true. We, we are stardust, and all of that, and that's that's basically what we're talking about. Is that that light energy that it is around us? Yeah, you know, some people can see it. Most of us don't, but doesn't mean we couldn't if we. Again, developed the or that. recognized what yeah what so yeah like I don't know if anybody and surely today now with you know the amount of science we have happening I'm sure there have been studies into that experience of knowing that somebody's staring oh. at you um and and another way that that um that I've experienced it um is with one of my dogs that i have aria she's uh yeah she's uh she's this female she's uh um, a rat terrier not terribly affectionate very you know her name i i i gave her that name because i really admired the character in game of thrones called aria and uh, and she turned into an aria (laughs) She's very independent, but when she wants to get my attention, she'll come and stand in front of me, and she will look at me without blinking, uh, just this constant stare, until I acknowledge her. (laughs) And the same happens with people with animals. I mean, you're often told if you're, you know, confronted with a wild animal, don't stare at them. Yes, because that's a confrontation, yeah. That's that's actually an assault in a sense. You know, they are picking up on your energy and saying, "You're looking at me too long. That's not okay." Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Whereas with Aria, is usually it's why haven't you come to bed? Yeah. The pack is going to bed now, (laughs) which just 
cracks me up, right? It's like, because it'll take me a minute, right, to real, oh, that's why you're staring at me. And I'll look at my watch and I'll go, oh, I get it. (laughs) Stupid humans. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly, exactly. Okay, so we have this secondary motion. And so... Even though the planets, the sun, from our perspective, which is here on the Earth, they appear to be going counterclockwise, um, our experience of them is taking them the other way, sort of. So they're fighting to go one way, or not fighting, but they're, you know, they are moving the other way, and yet we're dragging them back up. And so... Back in the day, again, uh, Hellenistic, the way they looked at, and I'm just going to change, whoops, wrong mouse. I'm going to change what visual I have up here. Am I going to? I'm going to try. Oh, yes, there we go. Okay, so back in the day, they grouped the um, houses around what they called Uh, the pivot points. And in modern astrology, we talk about the houses in terms of angular, succedent, and cadent. And I can remember memorizing that, right? You know, so that if I wanted to know whether a house was an angular, succedent, or cadent, you know, I had the little thing and I would just rattle it off and go all the way around the chart until I went, oh, so it's that. That's what that one is. But in Hellenistic times, they grouped them, as I show in this diagram. So, for instance, around the first, the second house is, because of primary motion, is rising up to be the next angular house. So, in some respects, succeeding houses are considered um, more... um, able to manifest themselves because they are rising towards the angular house. Whereas the cadent houses, they once were the angular, but now they're like, chump change. And so your cadent houses aren't as active or able to manifest what they're talking about okay so then we go up to the 10th so the 10th being the most visible so succeeding um, planets and activities that happen in the 11th house are supportive because they're trying to get up to the angular and so they help the angular house whereas the cadent is taking away from the 10th house, right? It's pulling it. And again, this is because of our primary daily motion. So it's almost like you get help in the 11th, you shine in the 10th, and then you're put on the back bench in the 9th. <laughs> Which, I don't know, professors might feel that way, Ninth house being about university and stuff. Well, I and know. I think, yeah, I mean, in, in modern, we talk about the ninth, and it's preparing us to get to that I know, it's just... You're not there yet, right? But the succeeding, we talk about the succeeding, uh, the, the 11th house, those are groups and organizations and friends who support us. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And support that 10th house... Activity, yeah. 
And the big thing for the ancients was these are pivots. And anything that's on a pivot has... um, uh, is going to, you know, you're not going to miss it in the person's life. There's going to be scenarios and activities and personality traits that are going to be um, obvious in the life, maybe not out there in the world, if it's, for instance, on the fourth or something, but they will be prominent in the life. So around the seventh, again, um, okay, so here's where I get a bit confused right so the eighth will soon become the seventh see my brain is you know it's interesting I would swear that I have a bit of a just a tiny piece of dyslexia because I get around I almost needed to have the arrow further around because yeah so okay so if the signs are yeah so the eighth will become the seventh right yeah, because the second becomes the first. So the eighth must become the second. So, um, but see, they the ancients saw the seventh house, and in some descriptions in ancient texts, it was the seventh that was seen as the house of death because it is um, setting. The sun sets on that side of the chart, right, and goes into the underworld, which, and then, you know, magically gets reborn the next day. And so the eighth um, went into the seventh, and the cadent houses were things that were there in the sixth were not good because they have died, and they will create, you know, they're they're out of the picture. Now the the grouping around the fourth house because that's the last angular um, was seen more like gestation right? Like the starting of things. Um, So the fifth, as children. Well, it's also creative, the creative energy. Yeah, the creative energy that produces children. Also produces us. And it produces us. And then the cadent house is what's leaving. And what leaves first are the children. And the third house was considered you know, the rest of your relatives, and then we start all over again. So um, they were, the ancients were more attached to understanding things through this primary and secondary motion, but the thing was, is they thought it was static. Yeah. Yeah, which, (laughs) you know, to try to wrap your head around what the world would have felt like with this motion that didn't include you well it's in essence we still do because i think the universe revolves around us <laughs> <laughs> yeah i suppose you're right that's true no, I mean, you know in my life i only have my perspective that's so true i'm the center of my universe because everything comes through my perceptions yes and that's all i can perceive right yep hear, taste, t- and t- uh, smell, and touch informs me. Yes. And that information is what, you know, in, in information, it's forming who I am. 
Ah, that's yes, I like that. I like that. Information. So yeah. It's like no are, thing. Are, nothing. And what we are is energy information. Right? Our bodies yes. are our physical self is yep. formation, which comes from consciousness, not yep. the other way around, right? And so, there's a and there's a huge amount of space in those formations. Well, yes, because basically everything's not physical, it's it's vibration, it's yes. <laughs> you know. I, it's, and so everything ultimately in what we call reality is our perception. Yes, yeah, that, that, those rays are strong. Those rays are Western, strong. In Western astrology, you know, you've got Saturn. And for me, th that's the concrete reality of our senses. You know, if I can right. touch it, yeah. You know, see it, then it's real, and if I can't, then it isn't. Whereas yeah. Neptune, which we use in Western astrology, the modern, um, is is just the opposite. It's the spiritual reality. Yes. It is, yeah. It is formless. It is endless because it is spirit. It is, and that's why it's associated with spirituality and yeah, and that sort of thing because. And, and why it's such a difficult energy, I think. I think it's the most difficult energy for people, for us humans to cope with in our yes. reality. Right? Yeah. Because it is the what is perceived as not real. It's like ghosts. It's like, yeah. you know. And, and what's interesting about this moment in time is um, Neptune is traveling through uh, from a modern perspective, its own home turf. Uh, oh. And it's going to be there for another few few years, I think, till 2025, yeah, I think. It's yeah. Slow. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. what's real and what isn't real? Um, and also the raising of vibrations, which is uh, you hang out at all with folks who are, um, you know, sort of devoting their life to spiritual awareness and pretty much to a person, they'll talk about the rising of the vibrational level right now. Yeah. Well, yeah. the other, other interesting thing with that is that the, the Saturn-Neptune conjunction that we had, what was that, in the 90s? Yeah, um, 81, I think. That was the beginning of of virtual reality. Right. Yes. That's yeah. when we started hearing, and I think Uranus was involved in that. That was an interesting time. Yeah. Well, but, when was that? Yeah. Uh, I can't remember. May might have been late eighties. I let me. I have, I, I have. I can very quickly. You did. You talk about it, and I will find it. Yeah. Well, to me, I. I mean, I. I was aware of it at the time. It's like. Isn't that an interesting thing to arise when we have this this conjunction, right? It's like it's so fits. I mean, that's the that's the cool thing with astrology is when you you understand what these these symbols mean. Yes. Okay. So uh, it was the early nineties. Um, Sorry. Yeah. So we had Uranus, Neptune, and Saturn. Yeah. In so, Capricorn. So it's the, so it's the technological formation of virtual reality which is perfectly fitting for that yeah conjunction. And, and so we've taken yeah. what we took was that neptunian thing which is you know 
virtual. It doesn't really exist. And turned it into something that, again, using your eyes usually. Yes. Right? Yeah, exactly. That the appears, ray thing. Appears to exist, right? Yeah. And it seems very as real as our concrete reality. So to me, that's like, oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, I think we do have these different realities. And most of us on this planet spend most 99.9% of our time in that Saturnian reality. Yes. Yeah. You know, what's real? What's real is what I can see. Yes. If it I can't see it or touch it or whatever, it doesn't exist. And you must be crazy if you think it does, right? Yeah. And that's gone on for a long time. Right? Yes, because it has. But that, but with Neptune now in Pisces, what is our understanding of what concrete reality by the time he leaves, which I'm just going to figure out when that actually is. It, oh, there we go. Uh, yeah, 2025. Right. Yeah, and so that Neptune in Aries, so it would be a hundred and approximately sixty-four years ago, which would make it when? Um, anybody out there in the audience does math really fast? <laughs> and Pluto will be shifting. Yeah, so by that time, Pluto will be in Aquarius. Yeah, yeah, yeah that is going to be significant. I'm just going to oh, figure I think out. So. You know, 20, we, are, we are living in significant times for sure. <laughs> okay, so 1861 was the last time Neptune started a new cycle. Yeah. What was in the middle of the 1800s? I mean, we were well in our way to our industrialization at that point. Absolutely. It was yeah, the beginning of the Industrial Revolution is, yeah. Yeah, it was at the end of the 1700s, beginning of the yeah. 1800s. Same, same time frame as the American Revolution and the French Revolution, basically. Yeah, on. that's when that whole thing kicked off. So <laughs> we were into it for about 100 years by the time Neptune started a new cycle. Yeah. And, and that, could, that could be when it really took off. I, yeah. Neptune would have been going through Pisces prior to that. Yeah. Yeah. As it is now, right? So, yeah, I, I, you know, the, those longer cycles are, to me, really so significant. And, I mean, they really are the backdrop to whatever else is happening. Exactly, that we, exactly. That we believe is happening in our concrete reality, right? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, to me, that it, it, it you is... Do, a, you do get the feeling, though, that this particular shift in 2025... But then, you know, and, and as I'm about to say, oh, but this one will be really big. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, <laughs> we are the Pluto and Leo generation, of course, so it's all got to be drama. <laughs> well, what's been, what's been going on currently is really big. I mean, there is a huge, huge shift in consciousness that's happening. Yes. Yeah. On the planet. And that, you know, goes with, you know, the conjunctions that we had in Capricorn. Yes. And the shifting into Aquarius. And yeah, yeah. And that, that big stuff. cycle that... Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and so the, the Jupiter-Saturn shifting into Aquarius is like 
clearing the way for Pluto, which is going to come not that long after. That's true. That's so true. This is all very, I think, significant. And that's Jupiter-Saturn conjunction uh, that we had on the solstice. Yeah, that, right? that was just do-do-do-do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Way too, yeah, so too much of that. These are, again, if, you know, we, we interpret, of course, it's our interpretation, but that's what's been going on forever is that we take these symbols and interpret what they mean exactly exactly yeah but making meaning that is it'd be interesting to know if other critters make meaning yeah well also i think for us as astrologers you can go back and see yes we can do that now what was going on and it's like there are cycles there are repetitions that happen and they may not look exactly the same and they're never exactly the same no no each each moment is because we are hurtling through space (laughs) and even the fixed stars you know which um there's a bunch of them actually have just changed signs and um from a tropical point of view and yeah (laughs) They, yeah. they are something, so taking us all the way back to our primary and secondary motion, <laughs> I'm going to pull us back there again. So the ancients were really, um, they really paid attention to uh, that first seventh house axis as, and who was there, who was, um, you know, and this was based, of course, um, as we now know, by the movement of the sun and the fact that we're spinning on our axis. Um, so who was rising? Who was the morning star? Who was the evening star? And when the sun would catch up to the wanderers, um, it was like uh, when the sun cut caught up because, okay, so you have your superior planets and your inferior planets again not something I really paid attention to back in the beginning. So superior planets are Saturn, Jupiter, and Mars, um, because they move slower than the sun. They can never, their uh, synodic cycle, and um, here's another one of those archaic things. Synodic cycle is the, the cycle that the planets do with the sun that is similar or described symbolically in the same way that the sun-moon cycle. So there's a, you know, a new moon effect between the sun and Saturn, a full moon effect, you know, like the quarters, squares, et cetera, et cetera. And so the superior planets move slower than the sun. So the sun every year will catch up swallow them up in the sun and so for instance if you've got sun conjunct mars um, from a hellenistic point of view that was considered burnt up and in the act of being reborn and so if your mars is in a lower degree zodiacally to the sun then it's dying if it's in a couple of degrees after the sun then it's a fresh mars right like a a newbie mars <laughs> well and the superior, the superior planets are the ones that are outside the earth's orbit the inferior yeah. ones yeah are between us and the sun so yes exactly exactly that's why their motion is the way it is yeah yeah and they qualified 
the kind of Mars, for instance, or Jupiter or Saturn, um, by those conjunctions, you know, like do you have a brand new Mars, a brand new Jupiter, a brand new Saturn, or are you, you know, do you have one that's dying? And uh, the oh. orb, <laughs> the orb that they use is 15 degrees. So when Mars got to within 15 degrees, catching or uh, no, how did that work? Right. So when the sun was within 15 degrees of catching Mars. See, now they're there. That whole motion thing just me messed with my brain. Yeah. Yeah, it did. Because how could that be? If the sun is catching it, the sun is. Oh, no, that's right. Yeah. So the sun is catching it. So Mars would be the evening star. Holy doodles. The, those two sets of motions, right? <laughs> well, but, but the, sun, the sun is always going to be faster than... Because yeah, and the, as it's catching it's up it, to Mars, day. as it's catching up to yeah. Mars, that is Mars in a evening star position. Right. Yeah, so it is dying. So they, the, the 15 degree starts from like the sun is at zero so 15 degrees before and 15 degrees after is the burn so there's a 30 degree place there where literally in the morning and in the evening you can't see the star the like you wouldn't be able to see mars because it's swallowed up in in the brightness of the sun and then it pops out again and so, and those were also moments, and this is what this one webinar that I was listening to was talking about. She felt that as astrologers to really um, sort of like the whole eye gazing thing, which is a new, well, it's probably not a new phenomenon, but it's, it's gained sort of credibility in the last 10, 15 years where, you know, people will stare into each other's eyes, Apparently, it's a road to enlightenment. I don't know if anybody stirred in my eyes for any length of time they'd go anywhere, but <laughs> in the opposite direction to enlightenment. No, whatever. Anyway, it's supposedly, and, you know, I have, I don't know. I can't say. Um, where was I going with that? Right. So when the planets pop out, and you see them either as the setting sun or the rising sun. Those were incredibly important omens. So one of the rabbit holes that astrologers could go down is seeing how prominent, and here we get into that Gauguinlin study. There was a guy who, a couple actually, that did study um, angular planets and whether or not that did create prominence. Yeah. Right. And so here again, the ancients were onto something with their idea of the omens when planets popped out of being with the sun, um, because that is evidenced by whether they're a morning star or an evening star. Right. Yeah. 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 And that kind of prominence. So you will see that in in charts. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think, I don't know that the ancients would have realized that the moon's relationship with the sun was really connect, how connected it was to the earth's relationship. Oh, yeah, no. Well, except right. they did know about the nodes. They right. actually knew about the nodes where, and so they could predict eclipses. 
Well, yeah, they would they would clue in because that's a pretty predictable cycle. Yes, right. That's true. And it's yeah. quick. And it's quick. It's um, you know, it's a uh, thirteen times a year. Yeah. So you're gonna notice that it's like, oh, look at that. It's. I mean, the other planets they take a long, much longer time to do that cycle. Oh yes, they do. Sun they and moon. do. Yeah. That's yeah, pretty quick. So you're gonna notice. Yeah. Oh, back to being brand new again. Yes. And and then, of course, we have our inferior planets, which occasionally move faster than the sun's apparent motion in relationship to where we watch it. And that's Mercury and Venus. And um, we do need to devote a show to the, especially the Venus one, because the Venus has this amazing star pattern that it forms it really uh, does it's quite spectacular i remember free, the first time i saw that at an astrology conference yeah they played a little uh, video of how that forms i was like whoa and yeah. it's just so symmetrical yes exactly and it goes with the venus symbolism of balance harmony yes yeah know, all those all other good things yeah right anyway so those two planets were called inferior planets and they're cycle of rising and setting and new and is way more complicated (laughs) which is not a good explanation but um and that's because okay so the superior planets including the new modern guys are all um slower than the sun and so the only time they go retrograde is when they're on the opposite side of the sun um in the zodiac and again this is all because we view it from where we view it yeah whereas mercury and venus when they go retrograde they're very close to the sun and actually they're they're between us and the sun when they They do that are being eaten up by the sun in a way oh totally yeah yeah burnt up yeah unless unless the ancients had a special one though and the special one was in the heart of the sun. Mm. So if your planet, um, and this included all of them, obviously, and I imagine even the moon, if it's within a minute, a minute? Yeah. No, no, 15. There's. 17, I think it's 17 minutes or something. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Then it was like it could be the absolute best possible. Right. Yeah, yeah, in the heart of the sun. Yeah, I think you're right, 17, yeah, minutes. Um, although I have heard... Because I think that's the diameter or, or part half the diameter of the sun or something. I think that's right, yeah. That sounds about right, yeah. Whereas I've also heard, though, that astrologers in practice say one degree. Like if you're, if the sun is at 28, um, 30, and you're, um, you know, 27, 35, then mm. you're less than 60 minutes. And so that, that, but a person would have to study. There are so many things to study. <laughs> It's so interesting. So much to learn. There is. There is. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, primary motion, secondary motion. Um, One of the wonderful things you can do if you, and I suspect there are sites where you could actually animate the chart, but a lot of the modern uh, 
astrology programs have uh, what's called an animate feature. And mm. it's worth um, setting that up, you know, hitting play, literally, and watching how that primary motion and the secondary motion is working. Um, mm -hmm. Other than, you know, messing with your head. <laughs> but well, um, it, it, yeah. It's, put, it's putting the time in motion. It's seeing how things are progressing. As yes, exactly. From our perspective again. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, and again, yeah, it's the meaning that we make out of those motions that yeah. uh, constitutes astrology. Always. Yeah. Always. Yeah. All right, folks, we did get through an hour. Yay. Told you so. <laughs> no problem at all. And Jill is no, right. Yeah. So um, by this time next week, actually in the next two days, uh, the sun will have ingressed into Taurus. Um, and we'll be starting to heat up the square in fixed signs. Um, mm -hmm. And the other thing that's really starting to s sound rather alarmingly loud is the station of Pluto at 26 degrees of Capricorn, uh, which I'm realizing here just the other day uh, is sitting right on my north node. Well, and and it's, it's, I think it's particularly... Uh, significant because it's the day of the full moon. Yes, that's right. In, that's right. Yes, the moon is in Scorpio, which in modern astrology is Pluto's sign. Yes, exactly. Pluto will amplify both yeah. of those, both the full moon and Pluto's station. So, yeah, to me, that's the, and the fact that it's so within spitting distance of the U.S. Pluto. I mean, it's yes, yes, they're going through their return. It's yeah. Within, it, it's closer than a degree when it backs up. Yeah. So they're, they're, that's ramping up to their whatever their revolution's going to look like this time around. That's right. So um, I'm going to have to leave you off there because we're down to less than a minute. And so next week, the show will all be about the month of May. We'll talk about Taurus. And uh, yeah, so uh, in the meantime, you have been listening to 90.1 FM CJMP, Powell Rivers Community Radio Station. And thank you very much, Jill, for joining me and you, the listener. We look forward to more discussion next week. Yeah. Next week. Bye. Yes. Take care, you everyone. Too. And I'll just fire up a little bit of music. Yeah, there we go.